1: Catholic apologetics is useful on so many levels, even if you're not evangelizing. This week we're going to talk about that with professional apologist and EWTN personality, John Martinoni. Hey, Michael Voris here, CEO of Church Militant and St. Michael's Media. Please join us November 16th in Baltimore, Maryland for the Bishop's Enough is Enough Prayer Rally and Conference. We'll be protesting the decades of spiritual abuse and cover-up by the U.S. hierarchy. And we'll be doing all of it just a few feet away from their annual conference. We'll be joined by Milo Yiannopoulos, Father James Altman, Archbishop Vigano, Steve Bannon, and many, many more. So what are you waiting for? Join hundreds of Catholics and purchase your tickets today. Visit churchmilton.com to learn more. Big in the news this week was Pope Frank essentially getting rid of the traditional Latin mass. I'm not going to talk about that today, but I'm going to do an episode in a few weeks about this and other Antichrist things Bergoglio has done. This week though, we're talking apologetics. Perhaps the single biggest thing in my own conversion to the Catholic Church was the way apologetical arguments were used by my godfather in teaching the faith. Had he not used those arguments as part of my catechesis, I probably wouldn't have converted. I'm just like you, an American to my core. Because I'm an American, I don't like it when people tell me how to think or what to believe. But if you're a Catholic, you have to believe what the Catholic Church tells you to believe. After all, the Church in her constant 2,000-year teaching is speaking for Jesus. As an American, though, that doesn't fit too well with my fallen nature. But by using apologetical arguments, my godfather was not only telling me what to believe, but why the Church believes it. As a neophyte Catholic then, every time doubts began to creep in, I'd simply recall those arguments. They kept me faithful. A few weeks ago, I interviewed John Martinoni, a professional apologist from the Birmingham, Alabama area. It was a long interview, so I divided it for this episode and the next. In this first half of the interview, John tells us how he got started in apologetics and founded the Christian Bible Society. We also talk about why Catholic apologetics are important to every Catholic, whether you ever defend the faith or not. Here's the first part of my interview with John Martinoni. Hello, six pack warriors. Welcome to the Cantankerous Catholic with John Martinoni. He's an apologist with EWTN. So let's go ahead and bring John on in. John, I welcome you to the Cantankerous Catholic. Joe, it's
2: good to be here with you and your audience.
1: Okay, great. Uh, Let's delve right into things. The first question I have is, the six-pack warrior nation is probably not really familiar with you and your apostolate. Please tell us a bit about yourself and your apostolate.
2: All right. Well, I was uh, born and raised Catholic, but uh, essentially never learned my faith growing up. And when I was 18, I went off to school, University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. And I tell people when I stepped onto the campus at the university, I stepped right out of the church and was out of the church basically for 13 years, living what I would call a world class heathen lifestyle. And after graduating, I got a degree in finance, and MBA, and went to work in the defense industry, working on multi-billion dollar budgets for uh, um, the weapon systems, various weapon systems. Ended up going back to school after a while to work on a PhD in finance. I did one year of that, and I didn't like it, so I left the PhD program. But as I was leaving school, leaving the campus, I, I went to... UNC in Char in uh, Chapel Hill. Uh, as I was leaving that campus, I came back into the church. Didn't re- I was still what you know? You've probably heard the term "cafeteria Catholic." Yes, I, you know I was like, uh, you know, who's this Pope guy? What does he mean to me? Why do I have to listen to him? And and what's wrong with sex outside of marriage? As long as you're in love and all these things, and so. It was when I stumbled on Apologetics about uh, a couple years later that uh, I got hold of Scott Hahn's conversion story. And uh, that was like, wow, this is what I've been looking for, but I didn't even know I was looking for it. And that turned me on to Apologetics and I just started absorbing everything. I was single at the time and I'm listening to, you know, back then in the 90s, it was cassette tapes and reading books and and just learning my faith really for the first time and ended up working for some banks here in Birmingham and then I went to work for a, a a Salesian ministry to the poor on the east side of Birmingham. I was their business manager. We had a a couple of youth oratories, free food pantry, a free medical legal clinic, job training program, all that. Well, one day I was driving in my car from the office to the post office to get pick up something for the for the ministry. And I heard this really anti-Catholic program on, on evangelical radio. And I called to uh, complain. And I said, you need to let a Catholic come on there and respond to that. And I didn't mean this Catholic. But, <laughs> but you know, the way it usually works out, if you're the one who has the idea, you're usually the one tasked with uh, following through on the idea. So one thing led to another and about, uh, I don't know, it was maybe maybe a year-long process, I wound up doing a live, one-hour, once-a-week Catholic apologetics program on the largest evangelical radio station in the state of Alabama. Wow. And, and it caused the very first caller I had, he, he was screaming at me. The, the first show we did was just, Catholics are Christians, too. You know, we we believe in the Trinity. Jesus is the son of God. He died on the cross for our sins. He was born of a virgin, all these things. I said, now we do have some differences. For example, Catholics believe salvation is a process. And I read from different letters of St. Paul, we were saved. We're being saved. We will be saved. I said, that's process. I said, a lot of Protestants, evangelicals believe in a one-time salvation event. I said, so we differ on that. Well, right then a call comes in and my call screener had a big smile on his face because he he slapped the the, the, he taped a piece of paper to the, the window in the in the radio booth. It said Brian line one and he had a big red star on the whole page. I had, I had I had told him before the show started if somebody's mad put a little red star well he the red star was the whole dad gum page and, and, and I said okay we've got to call in let's go to Brian on line one Brian welcome to the, and I called my show the Bible Christian hour he was screaming he said first words I was you are an abomination what is a Catholic doing <laughs> on a Christian radio station you know and 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 I, I just said, I said, well, Brian, and I may, I was talking to him just like I'm talking to you right now. Same tone of voice, same volume. I said, well, Brian, I was just reading from Scripture. Which part of Scripture do you disagree with? And it just totally stopped him in his tracks. <laughs> he said, what? I said, well, I was quoting Scripture. Which Scripture quotes do you have a problem with? And he, he thought about it for a second. He said, I don't have a problem with Scripture. I've got a problem with you. you know. And he started <laughs> screaming at me again. Well, and we went on for a few minutes like that, and he just kept screaming, and he finally hung up. But then an amazing thing happened. The next four or five callers were all Protestant, and every single one of them was apologizing for Brian. And they're saying, look, you know, we're sorry that doesn't represent us. We're we're open to Catholics, and, and we love our Catholic brothers and sisters. And, and so I thought, okay, that was really interesting. So... Did that show for a year and that show launched my apostolate, the Bible Christian Society. Oh, and the way I got the name of the show or the 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 apostolate was in the process to getting on the radio station, when I was first complaining about the anti-Catholic program, I wrote them a letter because they wouldn't respond to my call. I wrote the station a letter and I said, you know, would you put neo-Nazis on to promote their anti-Jewish propaganda? Would you put the Ku Klux Klan on to promote their anti-African-American propaganda? If not, why do you put these particular bigots on to promote their anti-Catholic propaganda? And I signed the letter, John Martinoni. And it occurred to me, I said, you know, these guys don't know who John Martinoni is and they don't care. So I made up the Bible Christian Society. (laughs) And I made myself the president, so I signed the letter, John Martinoni, President Bible Christian Society, and sent it in. <laughs> and I got no response for two weeks. But I'm telling all my friends what I had done because I, you know, I was kind of patting myself on the back, saying, "Oh, that was pretty clever, John." <laughs> and everybody was going, "I want to join." I said, "Join what?" They said, "The Bible Christian Society." I said, "It's it's <laughs> it's make believe. It, it's it doesn't <laughs> exist." So. I just started writing names down, and two weeks later, I wrote him a letter, another letter to the station, said, not having heard from you, we in the Bible Christian Society are going to picket your station. We're going to boycott your sponsors. We're going to boycott your station <laughs> in general. And I sent that letter on a Monday morning, and Tuesday afternoon, I got a call from the station saying, hey, we'd like to have you come on the, on our show. So. <laughs> That's how I got into what I did. And once I was on the radio, then local churches started saying, hey, can you come speak at our parish? And and I was like, speak about what? They said, like, what you're doing on the radio? And I was like, okay. And just so happens that my wife worked at EWTN at the time. And so I knew people up there. And I asked one of them who worked at the radio, he was actually the uh, program manager for the radio. I said, could you come and record my talks? I, I ended up giving... Four talks, four consecutive Wednesday nights at this one parish. He said, sure. So he recorded the talks. And a couple of weeks later, he calls. And he said, hey, I kind of like these talks. Um, do you mind if I air them on the radio? Well, this is nineteen summer of 1999. All I knew about EW10 radio was that it was shortwave and went all over the world. But I didn't think anybody in the United States listened to shortwave, really. Right. I didn't realize they had they had started doing their AM and FM affiliates. And they had, I think, eight or 10 at the time. So a few months later, they aired the program, started airing them on Sunday mornings. And one Sunday morning, I come back from mass. This is January of 2000. And there's 17 calls on my answering machine. I'm like, what's this? I start listening to them. Said, I want to get a copy of that talk I just heard. I want to get a copy of the talk. And so a tape ministry was born. And then I start sending out cassette tapes, and then people start calling, can you come talk to our parish? I I said, sure. Where are you? Kalamazoo, Michigan, Reno, Nevada, Sacramento, California. So that's how I got into what I'm doing, and it's been going strong ever since.
1: And you can see every step of the way that God was the one in charge of all of that.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, my plan for my life was I was going to have a million dollars by the time I was 30 um, you know, live in a nice house, drive a Corvette all my life and all these good things. And I never, ever dreamed I would be in front of people speaking because if you had seen me in college, when I would give presentations to the class in business school, my, literally my voice would be shaking and my hands would be shaking. I mean, I I couldn't do it. I was just scared, you know, out of my wits, but God took care of that. And, And so, uh, yeah, every step of the way, you know, you may not realize it when you're in the moment, but when you look back, you've got a, a, a clarity of vision usually that you don't have when you're in the moment. And I look back, it's like, yeah, God's here, 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 here. He's here the whole way. And because nothing that I'm doing now is anything that I planned on doing. So it's not me. It's, it's, uh, it's God doing all this. I also understand, John, the uh, problem
1: you have with Protestant fundamentalists down there. I mean, like, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but whenever I was down there back in the 80s, I actually had fundamentalists say things to me like, the King James Bible was good enough for Paul and Silas. It's good enough for me. <laughs> well,
2: I've had people, uh, uh, this, there's this one guy, he said, uh he said, "Well, you're not using the authorized Bible." And that was the first time I had heard the King James <laughs> version called the authorized version. You know, and it it yeah, when you go and look, it's authorized by King James. You know, but yeah. they they I, I said, "Authorized? I said, who's it authorized by?" They said, "God." I said, "God authorized what?" He goes, "The King James Bible, it's authorized by God." I said, "How do you know that?" "Well, God told me." Oh, <laughs> so I'm like, Oh, okay. God told you that he authorized the King James Bible. I said, "So, you know, what about the Bibles before? Well, they weren't authorized." I said, "For <laughs> I said so for 1600 years of Christianity, we didn't have an authorized Bible." He just looked at me and said, "Yeah, that's right." It's like, "Okay, but yeah, I've had I've probably in the last <laughs> in the last 20 years doing public apologetics, I've probably talked to somewhere in the neighborhood of 3000 or so non-catholic christians of all all denominations across the spectrum and what gets me is you know some of them will just write right in your face hey you know well you know living in the south you meet somebody new one of the first questions you get is well what church do you go to well, right You know, what church do you go to? Well, I go to First Baptist Church of of Mentone or First Baptist Church of this or Second Baptist Church or Methodist or whatever. And I was, well, I go to Our Lady of Sorrows. And then they stop and they, oh, Catholic. (laughs) Like, yeah. And I have had people literally on within a minute of my first conversation with them, look at me and say, well, you know, all Catholics are going to hell and they might not even know my name at that point but they know i'm catholic <laughs> cuz i go to our lady of sorrows or did so they immediately consign my eternal future or my eternal destination to be hell and at first that would put me off but now what i tell catholics i said look you can't get upset by things like that i said what this is is an opportunity god, god. is opening a door for you to shed light on the Catholic faith, on his true teachings to this person. Um, And I I tell him, I say, use their zeal to evangelize you to evangelize them. And so you don't get mad. You don't get upset. You just say, hey, you know, I, I I, I tell Catholics when someone questions or even attacks your faith in front of you, you ought to just get a big smile on your face because it's exactly. like, <laughs> all right, let's rock and roll, people. Let's let's talk truth here.
1: I have often told the Six Pack Warriors, don't get upset whenever these people have something to say, and talk to them uh, civilly and talk to them charitably. And I tell them, chances are, you're not going to win the argument with the person you're arguing with. However in almost every situation there are people around who are listening and those are the ones i'm really talking to because time and time again i've had them come to me and and say hey what about this what about that and that opens up a door
2: yes absolutely you you are you are singing my song there joe because i've got over the years in my talks and in my conversations with uh, with non Catholics, I realize I see, you know, I'm giving certain bits of advice or using certain techniques when I'm talking to to non Catholics over and over again. So I developed this talk called Apologetics for the Scripturally Challenged, which <laughs> for the most part that's Catholics. OK, right. We're scripturally challenged. Now, we know more scripture than we think we do, we j- but we just can't quote book, chapter and verse like many of our Protestant brothers and sisters. So apologetics for the scripturally, scripturally challenged. I've got four strategies I teach people. But before I teach them the strategies, I teach them the rules of engagement. And And, you know, one of the rules of engagement is don't get angry the whole system that I teach, the strategies that I teach, I tell people, say, you're not there to win an argument. And like you said, you will probably never change someone's mind on the spot. I can't, uh, like I said, thousands of conversations, I've probably maybe once or twice had someone even admit that I made a good point, you know, but I don't, I can't remember anyone going, oh, okay, well, you convinced me. We're just right there on the spot. I have had times where people came back weeks, months, even years later and said, you know, when you talked to me about that, I thought about it. And I went and did more research. And so so what I tell people, I say, you don't don't try to prove anything. Just throw out some seeds, scatter some seeds out there like the, the sower of the good seeds and hope and pray that it lands on good soil instead of on the rocky, among the rocks or on the path or among the briars and, and thorns. And so you're absolutely right. When I when I do my newsletters, I teach people certain ways of, of dialoguing, and then they'll come back to me and they say, well, John, you told us that if you ask someone a question and they don't answer it, then you ask it again, they don't answer it. You ask it a third time, they don't, then to stop the conversation and just say, hey, I don't think this is going anywhere. It's better if we just stop here because, you know, I don't want to deal with somebody who just wants to preach but doesn't want to listen. So if they're not answering their questions, your questions, there's you can't have a dialogue. But then they'll say, but John, you've gone four or five or six rounds with this person. They haven't answered your question. I said, well, there's an exception to my rule. And that is exactly what you said, Joe, when you have an audience. Right. Because the person you're talking to, what's going on with them? Well, you're addressing yourself to them, so their defensive walls are up. Okay. Right. But the people around who are just bystanders to the conversation, their defensive walls are not up. You're not talking to these people. So it's a whole lot easier to have seeds planted with those folks when you have the audience than it is with the person you're actually talking to. So I I agree you're 100% spot on when you have an audience. Don't worry about, you know, what's going on with you and the guy or gal you're talking to. Think about, hey, uh, this is all for this audience.
1: John, a few years ago, I uh, changed the focus of this apostolate from evangelizing non-Catholics to evangelizing Catholics because I realized that Catholics are ignorant. They just don't know the faith. And I was talking to several months ago, I was talking to uh, Michael Voris about this. And I told him that I think at least 95% of Catholics are completely ignorant of the faith. And he told me that I was being charitable. (laughs) (laughs) And, And the next week I'm talking to Terry Barber and he said, yeah, yeah, Michael was right. You're being charitable. So, You know, I started focusing on uh, Catholics in the pew, and for years now, I've been saying that I'm a firm believer in apologetics, and that they're necessary in evangelization, especially for poorly catechized Catholics. You know, it's not enough in catechesis just to tell people what to believe, but we also need to tell them why we're supposed to believe it. Would you agree or disagree, and why? Why?
2: I agree a hundred percent. Again, you're 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 once again singing my song. I tell people I use well as you know here in the South, many of the largest uh, mega churches, Protestant mega churches, are populated with a whole bunch of ex Catholics. Right. I, I there are churches here that I know are ten percent ex Catholic, twenty percent. There's one church, uh, a Church of God, that has. Six, seven thousand people. The deacon there told me they are 50% ex Catholic. Wow. Why? Why is that? Because Catholics are poorly catechized. They are easy targets. I have been to conferences, seminars at these mega churches on how to evangelize Catholics. I mean, they have whole weekends where they dedicate how to evangelize Catholics. You know, we, I don't think you've ever been in a, in a seminar at the Catholic Church, how to evangelize Baptists or how to no. evangelize Methodists. No, they pick on Catholics because we are easy targets because we are poorly catechized. But so I, but I, so Catholics here in the South and, and anywhere where Catholics are, are a minority of the population, they are accustomed to Protestants evangelizing them. So I use right. Catholics. I, like you said, I target Catholics for my apologetics, for my evangelization, but I use the hook of, Hey, I'm going to teach you how to evangelize the Protestants. And so that gets them interested. And then I start teaching them apologetics, how to evangelize evangelicals, Protestants, whatever Baptists, whatever you want to call, uh, whatever they call themselves. And, In that process, they are necessarily learning their faith, the Catholic faith, because you can't teach someone what you don't know. Getting to the what and the why, you are absolutely right. I tell people, you know, probably most Catholics do know what the church teaches. Most Catholics know the church teaches abortion is wrong, contraception is wrong, that the uh, the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. They know that that's what the church teaches. They don't know why. They have no clue why. Well, right. if you don't know why the church teaches that the Eucharist is the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, well, you're not going to necessarily place a whole lot of importance on that, You know, and, and you may not even believe it, which— Two thirds of Catholics, according to polls, don't believe that right. the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. So, if you don't know why, you become an easy target. Because when when a Baptist comes up and says, "Why do you call your priest father?" you know, right there in Matthew twenty three, it says, "Call no man on earth your father." Your your church is teaching you something contrary to the Word of God. Why why do that? Why do you do that? Uh well <laughs> yeah uh, uh you know uh well I don't know well that I don't know is the first step towards the door right? right or or you know in Mark six verse three it says Jesus has brothers and sisters you know James and Joseph, Judas and Simon it names his four brothers but you're you're you have a dogma the highest level of teaching of your church says that Mary was a perpetual virgin. Once again, your church is teaching you something contrary to the word of God. Why are right. they doing that? Uh, well, uh oh, look what time it is. I, my mom's calling <laughs> me, you know? Um, and so you're absolutely right. We have to teach them why. And that's where I have found apologetics to be an absolute necessity in teaching people about their faith, and catechizing people about their faith, because...
1: It was a six-pack warrior who brought John to my attention, and I appreciate it. I'd never heard of him before that, because I stopped watching EWTN when they began their decline after Mother Angelica died. As it turns out, John and I are going to become great friends. He'll be a friend to you, too. In my show notes, you'll find a link to the Christian Bible Society website, along with John's email, just in case you want to ask him some questions. Next week, we'll conclude the interview with John Martinoni. Nigeria is a rough place to be a Catholic. Catholics aren't only persecuted there, but the terrorist organization Boko Haram regularly slaughters Nigerian Catholics with machetes. Despite this, the Catholic Church is growing in Nigeria at an enormous rate. The Nigerian soil is fertilized with the blood of martyrs. My book cover designer is a young Nigerian Catholic mother. Her name is Emmy. She attends Mass and goes to Eucharistic Adoration every day, risking her own life to do so. The persecution of her family has recently gravely increased. Emmy just had her sixth child who's having health problems. Her husband Patrick has been forced out of work because he's a Catholic. The National Bank of Nigeria has blocked funds from the United States. I spent two weeks trying to find a way to get money to Emmy's family. We finally figured out how. Emmy has a friend in Great Britain who will forward the money to her. All I could afford to give her was $100, which was the widow's mite for me, but by her response you'd have thought that I sent her a million bucks. The baby's sick. The family's hungry. There's no income. Emmy can't do her graphics work because of the sick baby. And Emmy and her family live under the constant threat of death just because they're Catholic. By comparison, you and I don't have any problems. For the next several weeks in all of my show notes, I'm going to include a link for you to help Emmy's family. I'll send her the money given every week. If you're already helping this apostolate and can't do any more, please stop giving me the money and help Emmy and her young family. God will help this apostolate somehow, but this Nigerian family needs your help badly. Please be generous.
0: Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's, Sixpack's top five Catholic, Catholic news picks for this, this episode. Catholic news pick number five.
1: Hats off to the Catholic vote. John Cervantes, a Democrat state senator from New Mexico, said his bishop and pastor are denying him communion. I was denied communion last night by the Catholic bishop here in Las Cruces, and based on my political office, wrote Cervantes on Twitter. Cervantes concluded by appealing to Pope Francis, under whose direction the senator apparently expects the church to become accepting of abortion. Please pray for church authorities as Catholicism transitions under Pope Francis, Cervantes wrote. You're a wacko! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic
0: Catholic News Pick pick Number 4
1: Hats off to the Daily Wire Three of Texas Democratic lawmakers who fled to the nation's capital to avoid a vote on election reform have now tested positive with COVID-19 after meeting with Vice President Kamala Harris. Critics noted that none of the lawmakers were seen wearing masks on the flight out of Texas despite regulations requiring masks. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic
0: Catholic News Pick pick Number 3
1: Hats Off to Just the News TC Energy, which saw its contract to construct the Keystone XL pipeline canceled, is suing the Biden administration for $15 billion over a breach of the United States' free trade obligations. The Wall Street Journal editorial board noted that the United States has never before lost a NAFTA arbitration panel, but TC Energy has a good case.
0: Oh, yeah!
1: You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes.
0: Catholic Catholic News Pick Number number 2
1: Hats off to the Daily Wire Economists speculate the monthly child tax credits, which started this month, will mark a retail boon. It's a good thing for Walmart and grocery stores, said University of Notre Dame economics professor Jim Sullivan. The retail sectors where middle and lower income families spend money are likely to benefit from this. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic
0: Catholic news pick number number one.
1: Hats off to the Blaze. The National Football League announced that they will make the so-called Black National Anthem a standard procedure at its pregame activities. Michael McCarthy of the website Front Office Sports said that the league will introduce more social justice messaging on fields and player helmets during the upcoming 2021 season, following up on initial efforts from 2020.
2: Despicable!
1: You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes.
0: Now here's Joe Sixpack.
1: Newt Rockney, the legendary football coach of Notre Dame University, told his conversion story at a breakfast concluding the annual layman's retreat at Notre Dame. I used to be impressed deeply, Rockney said, at the sight of my players receiving communion every morning, and finally I made a point of going to Mass with them on the morning of a game. One night before a big game in the East, I was nervous and worried about the outcome of the game the next day and was unable to sleep. I tossed and rolled around the bed and finally decided that I'd get up and dress, then go down to the lobby. So I took a chair and tried to get that football game off my mind by engaging some bellboys in conversation. Along about five or six o'clock in the morning, I started pacing the lobby of the hotel when suddenly I ran into two of my own players hurrying out. I asked them where they were going at such an hour, although I had a good idea. Then I retired to a chair in the corner of the lobby where I couldn't be seen, but where I could see everyone who went in or out the door in pairs and groups. And finally, when they were all about gone, I got near to the door so I could question the next player who came along. In a minute or two, the last of the squad hurried out of an elevator and made for the door. I stopped them and asked them if they, too, were going to Mass, and they replied that they were. I decided to go along with them. Although they probably didn't realize it, these youngsters were making a powerful impression on me with their piety and devotion, and when I saw all of them walking up to the communion rail to receive and realizing the several hours of sleep they had sacrificed in order to do this, I understood for the first time what a powerful ally their religion was. I began to see the light, to know what was missing in my life. I had the great pleasure of being able to join my boys at the communion rail. There's another part to Rockney's story. It was first communion day at Notre Dame. Several small boys dressed in white knelt in the front seats of the chapel. At communion time, they left their seats. Two by two, they walked up the aisle to the altar rail. Each boy, except the last, had a partner. A man left his seat and walked with the boy. It was the boy's father. Just before the priest placed Jesus on the boy's tongue, the little boy turned to his father. Daddy, please, he begged, go back to your seat. You can't receive Holy Communion. You're not a Catholic. The priest heard the little boy. Don't worry, Junior, the priest said. It's all right. I baptized your daddy last night. The boy's father was Newt Rockney. Rockne was killed in a plane crash. They found him with a rosary in his hand, the sign of a real man. The Holy Spirit used the piety of his football players to move in the soul of Newt Rockne for him to see the light. The Holy Spirit gave Rockne the actual graces he needed for conversion. The Holy Spirit offers all of us conversion graces every single day, because conversion is a daily experience, even for cradle Catholics. The Holy Spirit gives us the graces for conversion each day, whether we accept them or not, to draw us nearer to Himself the way a Father draws His child close to Him in love and protection. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Blessed Trinity, and He proceeds eternally from the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is indeed God, completely equal to the Father and the Son. Like the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit is almighty, eternal, and infinite. Although there were hints and implications of the existence of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, it was Jesus Christ Himself who definitively revealed the existence of the Holy Spirit to us, and in His revelation He placed the Holy Spirit on an equal level with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit has many other names. He's sometimes called Soul of the Church, Paraclete, Sanctifier, Advocate, Spirit of Love, and Spirit of Truth, to name a few. My personal favorite name for the Holy Spirit is Soul of My Soul, because as long as we live in a state of grace, the Holy Spirit is indeed living in our soul as its temple. Jesus promised on many occasions to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit first manifest himself to the apostles in a visible way on the first Pentecost Sunday. Through this manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the apostles received the light to understand everything Jesus had taught them. This new light, which is the power of the Holy Spirit, gave the apostles the zeal to preach what Jesus taught without fear, even freedom from fear of threat of death. He offers us all this same zeal through actual graces, if we'll only accept it. Provided we're in a state of grace, the Holy Spirit dwells in our souls to make us holy with sanctifying grace. He enlightens our minds to know God, strengthens our wills to carry out God's will, and he sets our hearts on fire to love God and neighbor. And we should practice devotion to the Holy Spirit by praying to him and asking him to teach us to respond eagerly to his inspirations. The Holy Spirit is also the soul of the church, the mystical body of Christ, making her holy by the grace of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit enables the church to teach all that Jesus taught without the possibility of error, called infallibility. Finally, he transforms the members of the church into witnesses for Christ. The Holy Spirit was sent by the Father and the Son to live in the church until the end of time. We'll wrap up this little boot camp installment about the Holy Spirit with a bit of trivia. Did you know the concept of a novena came from the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost? At his ascension, Jesus told the apostles to return to Jerusalem and pray for the coming of the Holy Spirit. They did what Jesus told them. They prayed for nine days, and the Holy Spirit came on the tenth day. Hence the first novena in church history. Although we call a lot of different multi-day prayers a novena, a true novena is a nine-days prayer. We pray for nine days, then expect our answer to come on the 10th, just like what happened to the apostles. Novena comes from the Latin word meaning nine. It always helps me to keep that in mind when I'm praying a novena. Perhaps it will you too. The USCCB meets every year in Baltimore the lying and criminal Lavender Mafia types, you know, those who steal your money to finance their lavish lifestyles and persecute faithful priests, they'll all be at this meeting. That gives us an opportunity to confront them and take our beloved Catholic Church back. Church Militant is hosting the Enough is Enough prayer rally and conference in a pavilion right next door to the hotel where they meet. Attendees will hear from people like Michael Voris, Father James Altman, Steve Bannon, Terry Barber and Jesse Romero of Virgin Most Powerful Radio, Stephen Brady of Roman Catholic Faithful, political commentator and Catholic Michelle Malkin, Archbishop Vigano, and many, many more. I can't go. I wish I could. But the cantankerous Catholic is still going to do its part. For the first 25 listeners who contact me, I'll pay for your admission ticket. Can I afford this? No, but I can't afford not to do it either. Taking our church back requires sacrifice on our part, and this is mine. Have a deeply spiritual and good time on my dime. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic Quote. This week's Catholic Quote is from St. Thomas Aquinas. He said, The Blessed Eucharist is the perfect sacrament of the Lord's Passion, since it contains Christ Himself and His Passion. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. In freezing, wintry weather and a heavy mist, a daring rider had lost his way on snow-covered fields. He couldn't see a house, a light, nor even an animal. After riding for hours, he finally came upon a small hut. When the owner came to the door, the weary rider asked, "'Where is Lake Constance? Is it far?' "'Where have you come from?' the man asked. "'From that direction,' the rider said while pointing behind himself. "'Then you rode right across the whole lake.' The rider grew pale. At that moment he realized he'd been wandering for hours in danger of his life, because at any moment the ice could have broken and the icy depths of the lake could have swallowed him up along with his horse. This caused him to have a heart attack, and he fell from his horse dead. Most people wander for years above the dreadful depths of sin and hell and don't realize the danger they're in. They don't believe until they hear God's verdict regarding where they'll spend eternity. People usually take great care of their bodies, but neglect their souls by not going to confession as often as they should. This causes them to hurt their souls much more than they can hurt their bodies. This is spiritual murder, a mortal sin against the fifth commandment. If you haven't been to confession in more than a month, go see your priest today.
0: This has been the Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy.